that it might make sense to just take the money in the current year and get it in your paycheck and invest it in a taxable account or do something else with it rather than deferring, rather than investing in this type of account. Because the distribution options are so bad, all you're doing is making a tax problem for yourself three years from now. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Welcome to episode 198 of APM Success. As we're closing in on the two-century mark, which is very exciting. I recently had an opportunity to address the Columbia and Cornell PM&R and pain folks. And in addressing this group of physicians, I realized that, you know, they're in higher ed working in a university-based setting. Common in the university setting is a 457 plan as part of the employee benefits package. 457s are not an account type that we have talked about on this show in the past, so I wanted to take that opportunity to do it today. 457, it's important to understand some of the differences between a 457 and, say, a 401k or 403b. They're very different in some key ways, but are functionally similar in others. Many physicians make the mistake of saying, oh, 457, 403b, they're basically the same. The tax impact is the same. I should think of them conceptually in the same kind of way when I'm deferring money from my paycheck for retirement. I'm here to say, definitely don't do that. You need to understand the differences between them in order to assess, is a 457 contribution a good idea for you? Let me make this, let me take this opportunity also to say this is not financial advice for your particular circumstances. So please talk to a qualified professional before you make any important financial decisions. For starters, what is a 457? A 457 plan, it refers to the internal revenue code for number 457, the same way that a 401k does. It's a non-qualified retirement plan. What that means is that it is an unfunded plan. So this is one of the important distinctions to understand between a 403B and a 457. A 403B is not an unfunded plan. A 401K is not an unfunded plan. There's an account with your name on it, with dollars in it, that belongs to you. And so if the institution, for example, goes bankrupt, your account, your 401K, your 403B will survive that bankruptcy. In a 457, it's unfunded. There's no account with your name on it. It's essentially an IOU from the institution. What this means is in the event of a bankruptcy or a merger, this is very different and you're not going to get your money because it doesn't exist in a separate pool. It's essentially a liability on the balance sheet of the place where you work. There's two different types. Well, there's a number of different ways to look at 457s. One is a 457B and another is a 457F. A 457B is an account type to which you may contribute. So there are employee contributions permitted in a 457B. If your employer is saying you can contribute X to the 403B, X to the 457, do you want to do that? They're referring to a 457B. A 457F is an account which essentially functions as what I would call like an executive benefit. There would be a percentage of salary often contributed into this type of account by your employer. And you actually can't contribute to it. It's just a, an extra account that is for your benefit 
that money is put into every year, that money is often invested and grows, but you don't have the ability to do anything with it. That's also sometimes called a deferred compensation account. And, and frankly, both of these are going to work in that kind of way as deferred comp. If you think about what that literally means, deferred compensation, it's money that you are owed but haven't been paid yet. And you will be paid presumably sometime in the future. 457s are most common either with state or local governments as well as some tax-exempt organizations. The main benefit of a 457 is that they allow doctors to save money pre-tax. What that means is it reduces your taxable income in the year that you make the contribution. So if you make $500,000 in a given year and you contribute the annual maximum of $22,500 into a 457 plan on a pre-tax basis, your taxable income is reduced by that $22,500 and your tax burden in the current year will be commensurately reduced. In addition, the growth on these accounts is also tax deferred. So this is where it, it kind of walks and talks a little bit like a 401k. Your tax is reduced in the, the year they make the contribution. The money grows tax deferred for as long as it's invested for the year after year after year. When that money is working in the stock market, you can usually invest in mutual funds or ETFs in the same way that you can other retirement accounts. These types of plans are subject roughly to the same types of contribution and withdrawal rules one of the important differences is that a 457 doesn't have early withdrawal penalties the way a 401k or a 403b does. Generally, if you're younger than 59 and a half or in before the year you turn 59 and a half, if you take money out of your 401k or your 403b, you're going to be subject to an additional 10% excise tax. So an extra 10% tax to get your money in addition to the normal ordinary income taxes if those are pre-tax contributions. A 457 doesn't have that same excise tax, which is one of the benefits. However, there are a number of drawbacks that you do need to be aware of as it relates to the 457. And the biggest drawback is, in my view, the lack of flexibility in terms of distribution options. With the 401k or 403b, you can roll these over. If you work for a place for four years, you max out that 401k or 403b for four years, 20,000 a year, you know, 80, 90, $100,000 or more with market growth is what happens over time. So at the end of four years, you've got say $110,000 in an account with your name on it. If that account is a 403B, you take that 110 grand and you roll it over to the 403B of your new employer, or you can roll it out into an IRA and invest it that way. With a 457, it's important to know more about what type of 457 you have in order to understand what the options are. And this is where I would put every 457 into two camps. I know there's so many different ways to classify. This is a little confusing, but this is the most important distinction. I would say like the B and F, you can ignore that. What I would say you need to know about your 457 is, is it a governmental or a tax exempt 457? This is often determinative of whether I would be inclined to like it or not as an option. And obviously based on your individual circumstances, this may you know, there's rules of thumb that don't apply for everyone. But if a 457 is a governmental 457, then it is treated pretty similarly to a 403b in distribution options. Meaning when I quit, if I invest in this 457 and it's a governmental 457, at the end of four years, I can roll that 457 into any qualified retirement account, basically that I want to, I can roll it into a 401k or a 403b, or I can roll it into an IRA. I take that money with me 
with that governmental 457, and I'm not forced to distribute it or make a distribution election at that time. However, if you have a tax-exempt 457, you have much less flexibility. So if I'm working for XYZ University Hospital, and there's a $110,000 balance from my contributions over a handful of years, and I'm ready to leave, I might only have a couple options. One is commence distribution at age 65, and one is give me the whole thing today, and one is begin distributions over a you know five or 10 year time frame on a pro rata basis. All of those are bad options. I don't want to leave it until age 65 because the university might go bankrupt or merge or some, the nature of the organization, the employer might change in a way that puts that money at risk. Because remember, this isn't an account with your name on it. This is an IOU. So if that entity goes out of business or something happens, that IOU is not going to be able to be collected upon. I also don't want to take a pro rata distribution. If I've got $100,000, I don't want $20,000 for the next five years because presumably I'm going to leave my job and go to another job. And if I'm still making 500 grand a year, I don't want to take that tax deferred money that grew tax deferred and distribute it to myself at a time when I'm still making a bunch of money. I'm taking basically the highest marginal tax rate on those incremental dollars. And it totally defeats the purpose of ever having contributed to it in the first place. So because of all these limits, and obviously I don't want to lump sum because if I leave my $500,000 job for another $500,000 job, the last thing in the world that I want is to distribute $100,000 of retirement assets in one year, which is all going to be top taxed at the, the top margin. So again, the tax deferral benefits totally evaporate if you're forced to distribute. So if you're contributing to a 457, ensure that you understand the distribution options. It's not at all uncommon to have such limited distribution options, especially in the tax-exempt 457s, that it might make sense to just take the money in the current year and get it in your paycheck and invest it in a taxable account or do something else with it rather than deferring, rather than investing in this type of account. Because the distribution options are so bad, all you're doing is making a tax problem for yourself three years from now. So that's why really understanding which type of 457, is it a governmental or a tax exempt 457 plan can be really important. There's a great grid on the IRS website, which I'll include in the show notes. So apmsuccess.com slash 198. It gives you a nice breakdown of all the differences between these two types of 457 accounts and ensuring that you know what you're doing with the one that you're looking at. Another benefit of these types of accounts is sometimes there are employer matching contributions. So to the extent that that's important, you want to make sure that you contribute to them to capture those matches. Another mistake that I see in 457s is not syncing up your investments with your time horizon. So notably, the 457 may have a distribution looming on the horizon. If you're one of these people you're like, well, crap, Justin, I didn't realize that I was in a tax-exempt 457. I don't want to put any more money into it. I've already got 100 grand. I'm 42 years old. I don't want to continue to roll that snowball bigger in terms of the tax problem because I think I might leave this job in the next one to two years. Maybe I'm going to go to private practice. There's no 50, 457 available to roll that into, and I may have to distribute. If that's you, then your time horizon on the 457 is short, meaning... I'm going to distribute it in the next two years. I'm going to turn it into cash and move it to my checking account or do something else with it. And uh, because of that, I need to be invested in a way that reflects that time horizon. 
What that means is if the time horizon is short, we want to be conservative. We want to preserve those assets because if I'm going to be taking the money out, uh, particularly if I'm not going to be reinvesting it in the stock market in a taxable account, then doing something more conservative with high quality, short duration bonds, for instance, or whatever, you know, one of the limitations in the 457 is you've got a limited menu of investments to choose from, but it may be that moving that to a more conservative investment option would make sense in that context. So a couple quick case studies, like who is this good for? You're saying, Justin, you're telling me like 457 is a pretty mixed bag. Who should definitely be using one? And again, there's no definite, (laughs) these are rules of thumb. So you're going to need to consider your own circumstances. But if you're an older physician, so say in your mid to late fifties and you have no plans to change your employer, then it may make sense for you to be able to access, even if it's a more limited, if it's a tax exempt 457, it might be that you can actually access a distribution option that is reasonable for you. Because if you retire at age 62, you can take a, for example, a five-year distribution where you're going to have no income, no earned income starting at age 63. Maybe you want to take social security at age 70 and your RMDs, your required minimum distributions from your retirement accounts don't start until age 72. So you have this window where you can draw down some of your pre-tax assets, or maybe you're doing Roth conversions or other strategies, but this is a good window when you're not making money, you're living off your savings and kind of waiting until those fixed incomes turn on in five to seven years. This is a good opportunity to, maybe it does make sense to do a five-year pay down or a five-year drawdown of this asset and use that to fund your living expenses. That could be a very reasonable option. So a tax exempt 457 in that context, it's not a bad deal. Where it becomes problematic is if you have a longer time horizon, you know, if you're a 32-year-old physician and you have an opportunity to participate in a tax-exempt 457, are you, do you think you're going to be working there for the next 30 years and be able to access this distribution option when you're age 60? I mean, nobody keeps jobs that long. And if you leave that job in three years, your distribution options may be very limited. You can only roll it into another 457 if your new employer offers one or else you're going to be you know, doing one of a couple things that you're not really going to like. So in that context, for that younger physician who can access a 457, but it's a tax exempt 457, not a governmental 457, it often makes sense to just pass on it. Say, I'll take the money, give it to me in my paycheck. I'll invest in a taxable account and I will use probably a 403B or some other qualified retirement plan that you probably also have access to and have that as my primary sort of tax reducing employer retirement plan. So this does get somewhat complex and it depends on your circumstances, et cetera. But understanding that a 457 account is a different animal. It's different than the other 40s, 403B, 401k. And so even if you just know that at the outset, you can be equipped to know that you got to zoom in. You've got to look at the nuance, think about where you're at in your career, when you're going to need to access this cash and does it make sense to defer money pre-tax into this account. Thank you as always for joining this week. I'm always humbled to consider that people take time out of their valuable day to listen to me yak into a microphone for a few minutes. Hopefully this is valuable. I look forward to addressing you again next week. Take care. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. 
Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.